and welcome back to Founder Friendly. We are so excited to be back this semester and have a lot of cool episodes planned for everyone. I'm your host, Sharanya, and I'm here today with co-host Forrest. Today, we are lucky enough to be speaking with Buffy Allegria from Steel Sky Ventures. Steel Sky Ventures is a firm that invests in companies that create better access, care, and outcomes across the spectrum of women's health and in technology that supports new and innovative care delivery models. They're driven by the belief that women's healthcare is a global market opportunity that is primed for exponential growth driven by tech and business model innovation. So uh, just to piggyback off what we're showing, we're really excited to have Buffy on the show. She's a managing partner at Steel Sky Ventures and she's been with the firm since the, since the inception. So welcome, it's really great to be speaking to you today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. As you guys mentioned, I'm Buffy Alegria, managing partner at Steel Sky, and I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah. So, you know, can you like tell us a bit about, you know, Steel Sky Ventures, any like kind of background things about you? Just kind of give us like a brief introduction. Yeah. So um, my background, I come from a background of corporate banking, corporate finance, as well as healthcare. Um, I was involved in hospital board boards um, and have a science background. And so when I got into venture capital, I was sort of um, combining my background in corporate banking with my passion and love for healthcare and science and found that this was a great way to be able to um, mentor and advise founders, but also, you know, help propel and implement the success of uh, these companies innovating in the space. Um, and yeah, we, as you mentioned, I've been with the fund since the inception. We we launched the fund um, over a year ago uh, during COVID. And, you know, we were focused on digital health and different delivery models of care uh, when we when we launched the fund. But um, when COVID came, obviously, that sort of cemented our thesis a little bit more, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that quick introduction. Um, and one thing that we saw on the Steel Sky website was that you guys phrase the industry as women's healthcare, which is a little bit different compared to the more, I guess, um, well heard of space of femtech. So could you explain why maybe women's healthcare and femtech are a little bit different and why specifically Steel Sky invests in women's healthcare? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we, when we started the fund, we were noticing that uh, women's healthcare in general was under, uh, underrepresented in terms of funding um, as well as just innovation. And so I think it was um, probably right around the time we were thinking of it that the femtech sort of term was coined, um, which refers to a little bit more to, you know, things that are exclusive to women. So, you know, menstruation, menopause, uh, pregnancy. And although we definitely include that in our definition of women's healthcare, we have a little bit of more of an expanded view on that. So um, we we invest in companies that improve access care outcomes in women's health, but but it's not women's health that's exclusive to women. So um, you know, for example, we've seen uh, companies innovating in the cardiac space, and obviously heart health issues affect men and women, but. Um, you know, we feel that it's important to represent those companies that are trying to make improvements in women's health outcomes, um, no matter what the health indication, um, because women have traditionally been underrepresented in, you know, a wide variety of these, you know, clinical studies, drug studies, um, 
you know, studies for medical devices have been adapted uh, for women, not based off of trials, you know, of women. And so um, we feel like the whole landscape of women's health is ripe for innovation rather than just the exclusive, a little, a little bit more exclusive um, femtech sort of field. Sounds good. So, I mean, earlier you sort of mentioned sort of impacts of COVID on you and just sort of uh, your fund. So obviously with COVID just sort of accelerating the healthcare industry as a whole and kind of as a result, accelerating women's healthcare as well. Um, what kind of unique trends in the space and just kind of new technology do you see kind of coming out of uh, the, the pandemic specifically? We could uh, touch a bit on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I touched a little bit on how, you know, we, we sort of had this vision that digital health and different delivery models of care were needed um, before COVID. And we felt like adoption would be there eventually, um, but it was a little bit slow, you know, and, and part of that reason is because providers were slow to adopt because they wouldn't receive reimbursement from insurance companies. Um, and, you know, when COVID hit, it, it, it did a few things. First of all, it highlighted the need for, um, you know, patients to still receive care, even though they couldn't go into the doctor's office and, and, and even the hospitals, you know, at some points, um, even, even most recently with the Delta variant, you know, people, the hospitals are full. And so um, it also shifted uh, the medical reimbursement for care um, and forced a lot of uh, insurance plans, government and commercial insurance plans to actually reimburse for digital healthcare uh, visits for telemedicine, which they previously weren't, you know, doing. And so it sort of forced adoption by payers, but also forced adoption by providers. And I think, you know, there was, I, I feel like there was a little bit of a myth before a lot of people said that they didn't think that patients would actually adopt digital health, especially elderly patients and, and other patients that face barriers to um, receiving care. And I think that the only reason that they didn't adopt is because they didn't have the option. You know, the option wasn't presented to them because the providers wouldn't get reimbursed and the payers wouldn't reimburse. And so I think, you know, with COVID really highlighting that, um, it just forced everybody's adoption and accelerated that. Um, and I and I don't, you know, there's definitely a need for in-person visits um, all the always, but um, I think that the demand for that, those services and those new delivery models of care that maybe are a hybrid model of inpatient or in-person, as well as um, you know telehealth and digital health visits, um, are needed. Um, people, you know, get their uh, food on demand. They get their movies on demand. They get their groceries on demand. Um, now that they've experienced the fact that they can get some of their healthcare needs on demand, or at least to meet them where they're at, um, that demand from consumers and patients is not going to go away. So I think we're going to continue to see these new delivery models of care. Um, and, and, you know, speaking to your point about the technology piece of it, I think um, remote maternal monitoring, remote monitoring in general, um, is a new, you know, a new model that we're seeing at home diagnostics um, coupled with digital health. Uh, and then, you know, as I mentioned, the hybrid models of care where there's a combination of in-person and digital um, health visits. And then, you know, some of the technologies also that I think we're going to see more of is, you know, that we, we've seen more of the um, AI and machine learning, as well as I think we'll even see some more virtual reality type um, therapy um, and treatments coming out. Yeah. So like you mentioned, we have, we are very interested in like the way that digital health has been changing, um, the client and healthcare, uh, relationship. Um, 
like you like I know you mentioned VR and AI is like really coming out to continue with the technological advancements with that. Do you have an idea of where you personally see um, how that relationship will continue to shift and look like in maybe like the next couple of years? Yeah, I think we're going to see, um, you know, I think the machine learning and AI specifically can really uh, perform data you know, data evaluation a lot quicker and a lot more, you know, precise and detect different patterns that, you know, maybe manual evaluation of data hasn't been able to do. And so I think right now you see a lot of um, data gathering with the wearables and, you know, a lot of the remote monitoring solutions. There's a lot of companies that are sort of just gathering data right now, which is definitely needed because in a lot of these spaces like menopause and even like cycle tracking, menstruation, some of that stuff, we haven't seen a lot of um, data gathered in the past. And so we need that. But I think what you're going to see, you're going to start to see this data is going to be um, aggregated. And then there's going to be different algorithms that are used to um, to actually, you know, inform better treatments and cures that are more personalized to, um, you know, to women and to women of color um, and also just to women in different social uh social circumstances. So there's a lot of things that we're seeing out there that are combining, you know, AI and machine learning algorithms on the data, but then also overlaying social determinants of health so that, um, you know, more predictive scores can be given on risk, um, for example, that combine those factors and really can help address some of the health inequities that we see um, in, in, you know, the United States as well um, by, by being able to further evaluate the data with these new technology tools and um, sort of integrating them into our healthcare solutions. Sounds good. So, I mean, to kind of go a little bit more on that. So we kind of, you kind of mentioned a lot of things that we've kind of been researching personally. So obviously if you kind of go ahead and see just trends for VC funding, you see that with kind of the emergence of ML slash AI platforms and, you know, like telehealth platforms and just sort of wearables. Uh, there's kind of a really big surge in funding in uh, women's healthcare companies, especially on the, the VC side. So uh, can you think of any sort of like bleeding edge technologies that kind of have the same effect in the future? Um, I, I think, you know, there's been an explosion of investment in women's health, but, um, and you know, the deals this year through August have been double that of last year for the whole year. But it's still only, I think it's like five or seven percent of all funding goes towards uh, women's health. So it's still relatively small. And I think that you're just going to see, I think you're still going to continue to see more of an explosion of um, these models that integrate all of this technology, ML, AI, you know, maybe some virtual reality on some of it. Um, and then also just integrating those into these remote and hybrid models of care so that women, you know, for example, on, you know, in maternal health, you know, we can get women to adhere to prenatal visits if we are deploying, you know, caregivers to the home um, for those with maybe barriers to access um, to physicians. But then, you know, we can we can couple that with in-person visits when, you know, the risk is higher. And we can also read images from devices that are used at home, but images are read still by a radiologist in the office. So I think that there's just going to, I think you're going to see a continued integration of all of these technological tools to improve outcomes and increase access significantly. So, you know, things like, um, 
remote e-pharmacies. Uh, you know, we have one of our portfolio companies um, prescribes contraception to um, primarily focusing on the Medicaid underserved you know, market that doesn't have a lot of options for that. And they have a lot of barriers to going in and getting a prescription and going to the pharmacy and getting picking it up. And so they do this all digitally and then the prescription is delivered to them. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more combination of um, just including these technologies in all aspects of being able to reach the patient um, and meet them where they're at. Um, and also it extends the physician's practice as well without, you know, you can only have so many physical visits in a day. And so physicians are limited by the time that they can see patients in the office, you know, historically, and now this is enabling them to see more patients and reach more patients. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really great and really exciting. And I think it's really cool how like now because of the funding in um, women's healthcare, a lot of people who are previously just not able to access these primary like care um, methods of care are able to have more affordability and access to it. Um, could you talk a little bit maybe about the Medicare population and how things are kind of changing for them and how things are getting better because of this funding? Yeah, I think, you know, we don't have a specific focus on, um, you know, making sure that companies are able to provide services to, you know, Medicaid or Medicare patients, but it's definitely an interest that we have because um, traditionally those populations have been underserved and there's not as many um, physicians that take, you know, government payer uh insurance, there's uh, historically they have more barriers to accessing that care, whether it be they don't, you know, have a ride to the care or they don't have um, a means to, you know, pay to get there or they have other, you know, barriers of, you know, they lack family support or whatever. There's a wide variety of barriers for that. Um, and so I think that, you know, a lot of the investments that we've made, the companies are focused specifically on underserved population and increasing that access because um, the other thing that, you know, COVID I think has done is really highlighted the inequities of care. Um, and, you know, you're seeing maternal, you know, morbidity is three times higher in black women than white women. And, um, you know, you're seeing the, the discrepancies in, you know, even COVID vaccination um, rates. And, and so I think that the focus of having companies interested in serving these vulnerable populations and, and historically underserved, um, it, it, it's, it's a, definitely a change because I don't think there's been a lot of companies that have been um, extremely interested in funding that type of um, goal before. And now there are a handful of VCs that uh, are out there. There are a few VCs that specifically fund um, companies who are innovating in the Medicaid and Medicare space. And so I think that you'll start to see that access increase and, you know, with innovative ways to reach these patients and reach this population. Um, we have a portfolio company that has um, doula matching and maternal health um, services may um, that is specifically for black women um, and that you know platform is reaching you know is, is addressing these health inequities of care in the maternal health space and so that's exciting to us because um, it not only increases access but it's also an untapped market and it um, it's a market that you know i think historically has been seen as you know sort of like a 
uh, philanthropic, you know, efforts for these companies, but it really can be a profitable, you can innovate in the space and be profitable and yet significantly um, provide impact with increased access and care and improving the outcomes of these patients. Makes sense. Sounds good. So we talked about quite a few just sort of sub verticals within women's healthcare kind of previously. So I was just kind of curious to hear your take on what you believe to be some of the most high potential sub verticals within women's healthcare. You know, just kind of want to hear your thoughts. Um, as far as like spaces within women's healthcare, like maternal health or fertility. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I think that, you know, there, I, I think a lot of them have huge potential just because most of them have lacked innovation in the last, you know, multiple decades. Um, I think there's been significant changes and in innovation in maternal health, um, specifically, you know, uh, prenatal care, as well as um, we're seeing a lot of uh, platforms that are trying to address, you know, wraparound services like lactation support and um, postpartum, uh, postpartum support, postpartum depression, um, maternal monitoring. And then, you know, we also see a huge opportunity in fertility, uh, the fertility whole journey of fertility. There's, you know, a lot of issues of the traditional model, you know, with lack of access and lack of um, understanding about how to navigate that process, a lack of resources to fund um, infertility issues. And then I think also menopause is a huge um, opportunity. It's, it's typically been under-recognized as an issue that affects women for multiple years of their lives. Um, it's not well understood by um, traditional OBs even. Um, they don't get a lot of training in it. And so I think that there's really untapped potential when it comes to addressing the symptoms and the experiences that you know billions of women are undergoing every year of their life. Um, and then that being said, though, you know, I, th I still think that there's huge opportunity for for other just general um, everyday health issues, um, heart health, um, things like the primary care, um, mental health and things like that to be a little bit more personally tailored towards women um, and and vulnerable populations that have been underlooked in the past. And. So I really think it's wide open. I can't pick one that I think is going to be, you know, the 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 most successful and the most and the largest because I I think that um, you know that that might be in a few years we might be able to see you know some trending higher than others, but I think right now just the whole spectrum has been so overlooked for so many years that um, it, it's really an exciting time. I mean, we have you know the. The, the space is wide open and, and there's so much that can be done. So it's exciting to, to see that. Yeah, sounds great. So kind of just piggybacking off the last question. So if you can kind of uh, pin down just one sub-vertical that you think has the highest growth potential. So just kind of you personally, what uh, sort of sub-vertical are you personally just most excited about? Um, I, I'm personally most excited about um, the innovations in maternal health from, you know, prenatal to, to postnatal, but that's based really on my own experiences and my own, um, you know, issues in navigating the maternal health space, um, as you know, a, a woman with three daughters, um, I think that that has a huge potential to really reshape the way that women experience their, um, you know, reproductive 
cycles as well as, you know, their whole maternal health um, experience, I guess, all the way from, you know, before becoming pregnant, all the way through, you know, a, a year or two after when um, there's traditionally been little innovation in um, solutions to identify prenatal um, or maternal health issues early. Um, there's been few solutions to, even if they were identified, to remedy a lot of them, like gestational diabetes and preeclampsia and preterm birth. Um, and there's a lot of exciting innovations coming out to not only um, predict these health indications earlier, but also to help prevent them and to um, improve the outcomes. Unnecessary surgeries reduced, unnecessary you know hospital stays reduced. And so for me, that's really exciting to see um, I think that, uh, you know, some of the other fields might be just as big, but from a personal perspective, that's um, really exciting for me to see, especially as I have three daughters that, you know, may someday go through that themselves and um, hopefully have a lot more innovation at their fingertips. Yeah, that sounds great and super optimistic for that future. Um, just to shift gears a little bit, we know that Steel Sky obviously has a great investment thesis surrounding women's healthcare and women's healthcare technology. Um, and we're just wondering, are there any specific characteristics that you guys specifically look for within these companies before deciding to invest? Yeah, we do. I mean, we look for um, a few things. We look for um, product market fit and also that, you know, this is a big market that with with large potential. Um, so we, ha we look at market size and we also look at team. Um, we have, you know, we, we really are um, focusing on good team dynamics and, you know, what is the founder's vision for the company and does it, you know, does it align with, you know, what we think the potential is. Uh, we want to be really aligned with both the founders as in the vision for the company, as well as um, with other investors. So we, we look for them to be making, you know, good decisions about the other investors that they're taking on um, in the round as well. We want investors that are going to help them because we, um, you know, we we are more than just a check when we invest. And so, um, you know, we look for a few broad things when we're screening companies and then we sort of narrow down on the risks, um, you know, depending on the type of company. But you know, I would say team is very important to us, you know, market size and potential. And then, you know, we're always looking at, you know, what are the various exit opportunities for these companies? You know, even early on, we invest very early. And so it's, you know, not expected that they're going to exit extremely soon, but um, we want to make sure that the founders have an, a basic understanding of the variety of ways that they could make their business model work, or maybe they have more than one revenue stream that could get them to, you know, some sort of a exit that, you know, is within their vision. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds great. So if I could ask a little bit more about specifically the sort of founders uh, portion of that. So obviously, if you're going to be just investing in more early stage companies, um, just looking at founders is going to be much more important than if you're looking at later stage companies. So can you touch a little bit more on sort of certain characteristics you look for in founders and the, the sort of companies that you evaluate? Or uh, maybe if you could touch on kind of once or multiple traits that companies that you invest in have in the, sort of their founders? Yeah, I think, you know, we look for founders that are, you know, have a very good grasp on what they're what the problem they're trying to solve and what, you know, their solution solves. We want them to understand their competitive landscape um, and how they're differentiated. We want them to be dynamic and 
um, you know, passionate about what they're doing. And we also want them to have a team that is, um, you know, cohesive and works together well and adds value. So, you know, uh, we look for uh, founders who are capable of, you know, being coachable also, um, because oftentimes these founders have limited resources. They can't hire everybody. Um, and so we want to make sure that if we're investing with them, that we can help, you know, coach them and help provide resources and other people who, you know, can help them build their team or scale their business. And so um, we're looking for people that are coachable and um, also people that are able to, you know, um, I would just say have a little grit, you know, are, are able to pivot if they need to and um, understand, you know, different reasons why they might need to pivot the business or readapt um, to new circumstances. Um, because startups, you know, being a startup founder is really difficult and you're managing a lot of different uh, tasks at the same time and you're managing, you know, oftentimes managing all aspects of the business. And um, for founders who are not able to sort of, you know, get off one trajectory point, if it's not working out, then that's, you know, that's a really difficult path to be on. Um, and so we definitely look for people who are resilient and can and can pivot. Um, yeah, that sounds great. Definitely something for anyone who is a aspiring entrepreneur to keep in mind. Um, unfortunately, I think that is all the time that we have today. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to say thank you so much, Buffy, for joining the podcast and giving us your time. It was really great to hear everything that you had to tell. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Course. And uh, we will see all of our viewers next week when we continue with our Femtech Sprint. Um, bye, everyone.